Good morning and Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. It's great to be back together, our first time since Pesach. And we are rewarded not with one, but two Parshios that we're going to try to make our way through today. So much to say on each of them alone, let alone uh, together in combination. I want to thank our generous Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman. Our learning is Leila Nishmas, Dava Ben Menachem Manish. This morning's Shir is also sponsored by Myrna Hershorn in memory of her beloved husband, our beloved friend and member Marvin Hershorn, whose third year at site was the 28th of Nissan. Also by Marjorie and Gershon Green of Toronto in memory of her dear father, Dr. Benjamin Masauda. His year at site was the 7th uh, Shvi Shapesach. And by the Agus and Fox families in memory of the 8th year at site of a, a very special person, Dr. Saul Agus Shaul Gershon Ben Chaim Shmuel Vitachaya, whose year at site was yesterday. And anonymously, Nishmas Tevris Bas Aaron, whose yurt site was the second of ER. Thank you to all of our generous sponsors. Our learning should give comfort and strength and serve Le'iloi Nishmasam. Achrimos, page 636, Achrimos and Kedoshim. As I said, a lot to cover, and uh, we'll see how far we get and try to tap into a little bit some of the Parsha perspectives for today, the timeless messages of our sacred Torah from each of these parshios. Page 636 in the Yard Scrolls Stone after the death. We've spoken in the past, but the notion of Mos, death is so final, death is so conclusive, death is such closure, it's irreversible, it's painful, it's unbearable. Uh, and yet there has to be a sense of an achare mos. We have Avram Avinu, who is vayaka me'al paneme. So Avram Avinu loses his other half. Avram Avinu loses his wife, Sarah. In fact, Rabbi Salavitchik points out, we don't hear from Avram Avinu again. Avram's impact on the world, to a degree, slows down, if not comes to an end, when he loses his life partner, Sarah. And yet, even though Chazal tells us, our rabbis say, ain isha mesa ela the worst loss, the worst pain there is, is a spouse, someone's other half, someone is completed by that person. They long and look forward to being together. And that is the most acutely painful loss there is. Avram Avinu digs deep. Vayakam Avram meso. Vayakam. He shows that capacity, that ability, almost superhuman, to nevertheless get up, to nevertheless rise, to nevertheless proceed, to nevertheless, as is our minhag, and I've shared this before, we end Shiva, there are different minhagim, but a predominant Ashkenazi minhag is to end Shiva by going for a walk. And why do we go for a walk? We put one foot in front of the other. In the same way that one goes for a walk by putting one foot in front of the other, similarly, emotionally, one goes for a walk, one puts one foot in front of the other, vayakam, achare mos, there has to be that sense. It's particularly poignant this year, we're reading this parsha, or we're studying this parsha today. Today is Yom HaZikaron, today in Israel around the world, we're remembering. We're remembering the soldiers, we're remembering the civilians who gave and lost their lives in securing the modern miracle of a state of Israel. And the victims of terror still. I went last week for a day to Israel to be with the, the D family who went from seven to four on Chalamoid Pesach, guilty only the crime of taking a teul in the land of Israel. Maybe we'll talk more about it tomorrow at the Amunashir, which was the source of my connection with Rav Leah, with, with Rabbi D. But today we remember and we reflect on all those who gave their lives and lost their lives and paid the greatest sacrifice. And that contrast in Israel between Yom HaZikaron and tonight, then the transition to a Yom HaTzmut, the celebration of that miracle, of that independence, of that Jewish sovereignty over that land, a land where there's more Torah learning going on in Eretz Yisrael than ever before, a land that is supporting more Torah learning than ever before. That is, to a certain degree, a fulfillment of the Achare Mos, the Yom HaZikaron into the Yom HaTzmut, the Yom HaShoah last week into the recognition of our presence in the land of Israel, the state of Israel today, is an acharemos, a vayakam, of that capacity to rise up. You know, the enormous contrast, you think for a moment, between Memorial Day in America and a Memorial Day in Israel. Memorial Day in America is characterized by sales at the mall, by a barbecue in the backyard, by an outing to the park. That's a Memorial Day. Memorial Day in Israel are countless families tearing off the scab tearing off the scar, reopening the wounds once a year. I texted today with Rabbi D and with Hillel Fold and 
his beloved brother, Ari Hashem Yikom Damo, and the many, 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 many families. So Acharemos, that's the resilience of the Jewish people, the tenacity of the Jewish people. We are only here because of that capacity of the Acharemos, of rising up, of going for that walk, of taking those steps, of Vayakam, of the Acharemos. So it's very much on my mind, I'm sure it is, to a degree on yours as well. And what was the message that Moshe gave Acharemos? God spoke to Moshe, speak to your brother Aaron. Moshe was instructed to teach his brother Aaron a law. Hashem said to Moshe, speak to Aaron. By the way, in case you're confused, which Aaron or who Aaron, what does the Pasuk say? Taber al Aaron, Achicha. A lot of Aarons. How do you know which Aaron? You know, the one that you've been on this journey with. The Aaron Achicha that is your brother. And what's the message? What's the instruction to him? You cannot simply enter the holy whenever you want. There cannot be a familiarity. You have to have a sense of reverence. You have to be invited. You can only go certain times. Because you'll die. There's a death penalty if you enter without being invited. Now, we don't normally refer to one of the children to another as your sister or your brother. We do that if someone's in trouble, if they're in a fight. But generally, we just say the name and the sibling knows whom you're referring to. And yet, here, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to your brother. And in case you're confused, which brother? I'm sorry, in case you're confused, which Aaron? El Aaron hu achicha, your brother. And it does it in other places as well. Why? Rav Druk has a beautiful, beautiful insight. Very briefly, we'll share because I think it's so powerful. He says, Moshe was allowed in the Kodesh whenever he wanted, and Aaron only on Yom Kippur. So Moshe might have been reluctant to teach this din to Aaron because maybe it will make him feel bad. So the Torah calls him achicha, to remind Moshe that Aaron's happy for you. Don't worry. Even though you're Moshe, you're Rabbeinu, you have distinction, you have a different set of rules than anyone else. In perpetuity, one of the Yud Gimel of the Rambam is that Moshe is the Avanavim. Moshe is different than everyone else. And who's older, Moshe or Aaron? Aaron's older. So Moshe, as a sensitive brother, is reluctant because he's worried, what if I teach this rule, this law, and what if it makes Aaron feel bad? I don't want to make Aaron feel bad. I, the younger brother, have surpassed him. I don't want him to feel bad. So Hashem is telling Moshe, don't be reluctant. Don't hesitate. Aaron, achicha. Aaron's your brother. He's proud of you. He's happy for you. He sees your lives and your, your, your positions as intertwined. Pasuk says in Tehillim, Kuflamid Gimel, describes the oil dripping on the beard, the zakan Aaron, and it uses the word beard, zakan, twice. And the Medrash says, why does it use the word twice? Because Moshe felt like it was happening to him. When Aaron was anointed with the distinction of becoming the Kohen Gadol, was Moshe a Kohen? No, Moshe was from the tribe of Levi. Moshe is forever Rabbeinu. Moshe's got a good title. He's got a good legacy secured. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a, the greatest Hall of Famer. But Aaron is a Kohen. And Moshe wanted to be a Kohen. And yet the Pasuk describes the word zakan twice. Why? Because as Aaron was anointed, it was as if Moshe was anointed. It was as if he was being anointed because he took such pride. He was so happy for his brother Aaron. And many point out, you see this reciprocal, incredible joy that Moshe is able to feel for Aaron, Aaron is able to feel for Moshe. No se ba'olom chavero is not just in the negative. The altar of Kelm says, no se ba'olom chavero doesn't just mean to bear the burden, the pain of a friend, but it also means to share in the happiness and the joy and the success of a friend. To be able to, as we say in the Yiddish, to fargin. You know, someone's child got engaged, they had a grandchild, they won the lottery, they have wonderful shalom bias, they got good news. Be happy for them to fargin them, to be no se ba'ol, to share in the joy, says the altar of Kelm. And he points out, we've shared this many times, which is harder, to be no se ba'olam chavero, which is harder, which is easier, to feel the pain, the empathy for the pain of another, or to share in the joy of another. He says it's easier to feel the pain of another. Why? Because when someone else is going through a hard time, God forbid they've experienced a loss, a crisis, they're going through a difficult time or period, they need a meal, they need a ride, they need a word, they need a hug, you're happy to give it. You know why? Because you say to yourself, 
Thank God that's not me. So you know what? I'll make them a meal. I'll give them a ride. I'll check in on them. I'll do whatever they need because I'm just so grateful. Thank God that's not happening to me. But when you hear about something happy, when they pull into the driveway with the new car, when you see them walking into the house arm in arm with such happiness and joy and shalom bias, when in the newsletter the president announces the mazel tov, yet another mazel tov, you know what you say? Why not me? Why not me? I deserve it so much more. I'm such a better person. Why not me? It's hard to forgive. It's hard to be happy for the other person. So that's Moshe and Aaron. Moshe and Aaron are the original example of two brothers that don't have sibling rivalry. They have sibling revelry. They have sibling, sibling, I just made that up by the way, right now. I'm just gonna pause because I'm proud of that. It just came to me. Thank you, right now. Not sibling rivalry, sibling revelry. They're happy for one another. They're happy for one another. The Heliga Kasher Glover, the Eretz Tzvi, the Ari Tzvi Frimer, the Rosh Hashiva of Chachmei Lublin, after the Lubliner, he says that's the prohibition of Losachmud. When the Torah, the Decalogue, the tenth of the Aseris Adibro says, don't covet, don't be jealous, don't want what your neighbor has. How could you be told, don't covet and don't be jealous? He points to a Pasuk, not Nacharimos. The Heliga Kasher Glover points to a Pasuk where? The next Parsha, in Parsha's Kedoshim. We'll get to it. By this afternoon. Pasuk says, So you know, if you see Reacha as Kamocha, if you see your friend as an extension of you, then their joy, their happiness, their success is your joy and your happiness and your success. But if you see them as a competitor, if you see them as a rival, so now their happiness, their joy, their success is at your expense. You know, Stephen Covey writes in his Seven Habits, you could live life as win, lose, lose, win, Lose-lose or win-win? What's your attitude? What's the paradigm? In business as a negotiator, in friendship, with family. And of course, the ideal is win-win. The best business people were able to structure and negotiate deals where there's a win-win. You won, I won, we both walk away happy and successful. There are people, I don't wanna be around them, neither do you, who are only happy if it's a win-lose. My win is only meaningful if you lost if I crushed you, if I defeated you, if I destroyed you, if I squeezed everything out of you. Why? In business, it should be a win-win. I got a good deal, I did well, and you did well. That's a Kiddush Hashem, and what a reputation you have. A win-win, not a win-lose. So in life, some people want, if you have a simcha, then I, I'm not happy. I'm only happy if I have a simcha and you've got a, a loss. Why can't a win-win? The Gemara in Sanhedrin says, that Bechol Adam Mekana, a person who's jealous of everyone, chutz mi b'no v'tal mido. You could be jealous of everybody but your child and your student. Why aren't you jealous of your child? A healthy parent is not jealous of a child. There are unhealthy parents who are competing with their own children. But a healthy, good parent is never jealous of their child. They're so excited and happiness. They sit at that graduation cheering on that child and they tell everybody, did you hear that my child got this degree or got this promotion or made this deal or got this position or had this accomplishment? Why? Why is a parent never jealous of a child? Because the child is an extension of the parent. So if if we can succeed in seeing everyone as an extension of ourselves, then it's not a win-lose or a lose-win. It's a win-win. It's fantastic. Someone had a simcha. They could have all the simcha in the world that doesn't take away from the simcha that I could have. The fact that they have children or grandchildren or they're making weddings or they have shalom bias doesn't preclude me from having shalom bias or children or grandchildren. One thing has nothing to do with the other. And if I see them as an extension of me, then I can be happy. I can fargin them. I could be no se ba'ol together with them. And that says Rav Druk is what's going on here in this Pasuk. So Daber al-Aron... Achicha. Hashem reminds Moshe, don't worry. You think Aaron is competing with you? You think he's jealous of you because you have different rules than he? Don't worry. He's Achicha. He's your brother. He's so proud. He loves you. He's not competing with you. So don't worry. You could teach him the halacha. And that's why we find many places. Achicha. Moshe and Aaron, you're not rivals and you're not competing. You don't have sibling rivalry. You have sibling revelry. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The Otsipolos HaTorah. And I just want to show you the thickness of this volume. This Otsiplos HaTorah. Again, first of all, I'm very, very grateful to the Machaber who wrote me this beautiful inscription, Zichrimen, and it compiled a magnificent, magnificent Sefer. Thank you for sending me this volume. It's really, really beautiful. Uh, we could spend 
three weeks just on one parsha, let alone two, it was not easy to go through the Otsar on these two parshas and try to extract what would be interesting to share because he digs up the most fascinating, fascinating things. So Rashi here says, Avzu lo b'chol eis, kim biyom ha-kipurim. When is Aaron? It's not b'chol eis. Lo yavo b'chol eis. You can't enter whenever you want. When are you allowed to enter? Only on Yom Kippur. So it sounds like when is Aaron allowed to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Exclusively on one day a year. When can he go in? Only on Yom Kippur. But leave it to to dig up the Medrash Rabbah. Moshe had great pain. Same idea as Rav Druk. The Medrash says when Moshe heard this, Aaron can only go in on Yom Kippur. He's going to be so jealous. He sees me go in. So the end of the Medrash, Rav Druk didn't quote this, but the Otsuplos HaTorah does. It's a misnomer. So many things that he gives us insight. We always thought one way, and he digs up sources that expand your horizon. You could see it a different way. It's not true that Aaron was only allowed to go in on Yom Kippur. Aaron was allowed to go in, says the Medrash, whenever he wanted. But what was the prerequisite? When could he go in? He had to do the Seder Avodas Yom HaKippurim. The Matir, what gave him license, what gave him entrance, the entrance fee, the secret password, the code to get into the Kodesh HaGadashim was to do the Avodas Yom Kippur on Hanukkah, Avodas Yom Kippur on Pesach, to do the Avodas Yom Kippur in the middle of the summer, to do the Avodas Yom Kippur in the middle of the winter. If he would do the Avodas Yom Kippur, that would give him entrance. Only Aaron could do this. Every subsequent successor of Aaron, every other Kohen Gadol, only on Yom Kippur. But Aaron, as long as he would perform the Avoda of Yom Kippur, then he would be able to enter into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It's fascinating. Not, we were not going to try to do this for now, but to give thought to what is it about the Avoda of Yom Kippur that is the license, that is the matir, that gives him the right to be able to enter. It's something which is fascinating. The Chida wonders the following. The Hilech Chida wonders, when Aaron left the Kodesh HaKadoshim, in the Sefer Birche Yosef, he wonders this. He was asked this in a dream. I went to Israel for so short. I flew on Monday, got there Tuesday, and I left Wednesday night. So I couldn't bench Goma when I got there, but I was able to bench Goma when I got back. Those who have the minute to still bench Goma when you cross the ocean, you go to or from Eretz Yisrael. So why do we bench Goma? We spoke about this a few weeks ago. Tour quotes the word Hachayim is the acronym for the four people who have survived something and in gratitude, the equivalent of the Korban Toda today is to bench Gomel, is to bench Gomel. So Aaron, it's life-threatening to go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. If the Jewish people and the Kohen Gadol are unworthy, he's not coming out alive. In fact, what would they do? They tie, the Zohar says, a golden chain. How could it be gold? He has a whole discussion about it. We're not going to go into it. But they would tie a rope, a golden chain, to the ankle of the Kohen Gadol. You've got to imagine how depressing that is. Good luck. What's the rope? In case you don't make it, we've got to be able to drag your body out. We can't go in. Anyway, good luck. Hope it goes well. Hope to see you on the other side. That, that was the Kohen Gadol. Kohen Gadol was so ecstatic when he came out alive, he sang a song. He offered a tefillah. We sing it. It's one of the highlights of Yom Kippur which we've ruined by now singing at weddings throughout the year. Marakoin should be a geschmack you have on Yom Kippur. Once you're dancing to it at every wedding, now you've diluted the joy. It's a, it's a great song. Believe me, I get as into it as anybody else, but okay, it's a pet peeve of mine. So the Chida wonders, did the Kohen Gadol bench Goma when he left the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Did he bench Goma? He survived a life-threatening circumstance. Did he bench Goma? And he concludes, Vadai loa Kohen Gadol Mavarach. Why? Hashem said, go in. Hashem was watching over him. So everything else we do is elective that we bench Gomel on. But this was the instruction, it was a tzivoy of Hashem. So you don't bench Gomel when you leave after something which was a tzivoy of Hashem. So the Sefer Mavasa Tov to the Bialo Rebbe Shlita and Shas says, ah, all of that's good for Yom Kippur. When Aaron was following a tzivoy, 
But we just dug up a medrash where it said Aaron was entitled to go in whenever he wanted, as long as what? He did the avod of Yom Kippur first. So true, Aaron didn't bench Gomel when he went in on Yom Kippur because Hashem told him to. But when he went in on his own volition, electively, voluntarily, did he bench Gomel then? Oh, interesting insight. An interesting kasha. Anyway, a discussion in the Otsar Plosa Torah, something which is fascinating. Perik Tezayim, Pasuk Dalad. Ksonas bad Kodesh Yabash, Umechnes Evad Yayah Besaro, Uvavnei bad Yachgor, Mitznas bad Yitznof, Big Day Kodesh Yem Barachatz Bamayim Es Besaro, U Levesh Sham. Here the Torah is giving us the Avod of Yom Kippur. We're familiar with it. It is, of course, the highlight of our Yom Kippur to read about it. So the Kohen Gadol would put on sacred linen, the, the um, ksonas, the tunic, the linen, uh, the pants should be on his flesh, no barrier between them. He wears a linen sash, a belt, and a head was covered with a, a linen uh, turban. Big day kodeshem. These are considered sacred garments. He has to immerse. He'd go in and out. He'd change his clothing many, many times. Rashi here says, "Kson is bad." Magid she'enam shamesh lefnaim lefnim b'shemona begodim shemeshamesh ben bechutz. Kohen Gadol did not wear his normal uniform of the eight garments. He changed into the uniform of the four garments when he went inside. Why? Why? Sheish behem zahav, because they include gold. Because you're not going to have the prosecutor become the defense attorney. You can't play it both sides. You can't play it both ways. That which prosecutes against us can't then be invoked in our defense. How is gold the prosecutor against us? Because what does gold invoke? What is it reminiscent of? The Chayta Egel. So the very gold through which we sin, the Chayta Egel, the gold which indicted us and prosecuted against us, that gold is not going to then be our defense. The coin gold is not going to wear the gold. So So therefore the coin gold, though he normally has eight garments, wears the four garments of a regular coin when he goes inside, because he's going to advocate and fight and defend the Jewish people to earn forgiveness and atonement on the sacred day. And he's not going to do it wearing the very material or ingredient, which was the prosecutor. The source of this Rashi is Rashi says, The Zav of the Egel and the Shofar of Apara are also our Kategor. That's why preferably we don't use a Shofar of Apara, we use the Shofar of, of a Ram, which invokes the memory of what? The Isle of Yitzchak and the Akedah. We invoke our merit rather than our demerit. We invoke our worthiness rather than that which was prosecuting against us. The Chidush Ritva writes there on the Gemara, Can you wear a talus which is decorated with gold? Some people have on their talus, not just black and white. Some people have on their talus gold. Should you wear such a talus on Yom Kippur? Is it a problem of Ein Kategor Nasa Sanegor? The Ritva has a discussion. I'm quoting this because Dotsa Plosa Torah references from here. Bedoros HaMeucharim, in recent generations, Nagu Bekama Kilos Kedoshas Bisrael, Shelo Lehis Kashet Biyom Kippur, Betachshite Zahav. This is the source of the minig many have. Maybe you remember growing up, it's not a Baba Maisa, but it is fairly recent, that your parent tells you, no gold jewelry on Yom Kippur. Don't wear your gold earrings or necklace or bracelet. Don't wear the gold cufflinks. Don't wear the gold tie pin. And then the Helega Utsaplosa Torah does a fantastic job digging up all kinds of sources for these minhagim, which we won't take the time, but I'll just give you the Rashi Prakim. Tachshite Zav the Sefer Torah. In the Tshuva's Nishal David, he quotes a minhag from the city of Prague. Biyom Kippur Noagim Bekila Kedosha Prague, Shalolish Damish Bobiyom, Akli Zav, Akli Kesef. What does the Sefer Torah has on the breastplate, the Sefer Torah, the ornaments on top, are made out of silver or gold? Don't use them on Yom Kippur. What about jewelry for people? We saw. What about wearing a watch? What about if a person's glasses have gold or silver? He has all kinds of sources and all kinds of discussions. How far do we take? 
we don't want any images or icons of what we did wrong on the day that we're fighting for our life and fighting for our defense. A very interesting conversation. Perik Tezayim Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Skip to page 600 and Tezayim Lamed Aleph. 644. Again, the whole Avodah of Yom Kippur. We're going to get to the end of both Parshios. Previous years we did the beginning and the middle. I want to get to the end of both Parshios and see a little bit from there. But first, Shabbat Shabbat Lachem Sechem Chukas Olam. The Torah here describes Yom Kippur as, what's the name for Yom Kippur? Shabbat? Shabbat It's the ultimate Shabbat. It's the great Shabbos. It's the Shabbos, which is a Shabbos that is Shabbos Shabboson. It is a Shabbos that's a double, double Shabbos. So Yom Kippur doesn't have to fall on Shabbos to be called Shabbos. Yom Kippur has this independent identity of Shabbos Shabboson. Is that significant? Is that meaningful in any way? So he quotes here a very interesting minhag. The Mordechai in Mesechah's Yuma, the Mordechai in the back of Mesechah's Yuma writes, quote, Madlikin Neiros al that you light your candles for Yom Kippur on the table. You set the Yom Kippur table as if it were Shabbos. Because it's called the great Shabbos, you should set the table for Yom Kippur as if it's Shabbos. The Beis Yosef asks on the Mordechai, You're not home on Yom Kippur. You're in shul the entire day. You're not sitting at a table on Yom Kippur. You're not eating foods. What table are you setting on Yom Kippur while you're going to be in shul on a day that you're fasting? The Raman Darchei Moshe comments on the Beis Yosef, Aval b'minhagim kasev g'divrei ha-mordechai v'chein ha-minag v'chein kasev ha-ramah b'shulchan aruch la-alacha The Raman disagrees with the Beis Yosef with the Maron Shulchan Aruch and the Raman, like the Mordechai, says one should spread a white tablecloth on their table for Shabbos. Another one of my pet peeves, by the way. The Minig Yisrael is, you know, now we have decor and the, the I'm going to impress you, the charger. You know what a charger is? Men, do you know what a charger is? There's a plate, but the plate's not enough to have to set and wash and store. Now we have a plate under the plate that should match the plate and what's going to go on the plate and next to the plate and the centerpiece of the table and the tablecloth of the table it used to just be, you ate on the table. But now the table's a statement. So you gotta set the table. So you gotta have a charger and a plate and a whatever. Anyway, so the tablecloth's gotta match the charger. Gotta, but the minute you throw the Mishnah quotes, a person should have a white tablecloth. White. White is the symbol, white is the sign, white is the message. Okay, another pet peeve. It's possible not everybody in my home Paskins like me, but it should be a white tablecloth. Should be a white tablecloth. Big day love and not in general on Shabbos. So the Mordechai and the Ramaz Paskin like this Mordechai that because Yom Kippur is called Shabbos Shabboson, even though you're not sitting at the table, you're not eating, you set the table, you set the table. The Sefer Mamma Mordechai and the Shulchan Aruch, he brings a minig pella. Quote, you put out a nice tablecloth. Now you can't set the table with food. What should you set the table with? You put a tablecloth, you put svarim, and you cover the svarim just like you cover the challah. So the same way on a Shabbos, you'd have a tablecloth underneath. By the way, based on a tesis, we don't just cover the challah. You shouldn't leave your table bare, put the challah and put a tablecloth. The mun, the lecha mishnah, are in memory of the mun. The mun fell on a layer of dew underneath and a layer of dew, a protective layer of dew on top. And that's why we have a tablecloth underneath and we have a challah cover on top. Everyone knows the reason for the challah cover. We don't want to embarrass the challah, cover the challah really in the order. Eretz chita, saura, gefen. First you should make a bracha on the challah, then the kiddush. We go out of order. We don't want to chas v'shalom embarrass the challah. So therefore we cover the challah. Everybody knows that reason. And everybody knows the story of Rav Salanter who was once a guest at someone's table. And the balabayas was upset about something the way that the balasabayas, the wife, set the table or, or, or prepared or served at the table. And he berated her even in front of the guests. They like a, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, so Rabbi Salanter called the, the Balabais aside and he said, let me ask you a question. Why'd you cover the challah? He said, what do you mean why I cover the challah? I don't want to embarrass the challah. You don't embarrass the challah because you're going to make Kiddush before Hamotzi and really in the order of brachas, the Hamotzi should come first. So he said, challah, the inanimate object, you are careful and scrupulous not to embarrass and your wife, your wife, you embarrassed like that? It's a big message, a big Musar Haskel. I don't know any Jew who makes Kiddush with the challah uncovered 
such a Jew, you'd never let your, mar- your child marry such a Jew. We should add that to the, to the uh, Shidduch uh, questions, the Shidduch interrogations. Do they cover the challah when they make Kiddush? Everyone said, what a ridiculous question. Who doesn't cover the challah when you make Kiddush? You're so careful to cover the challah because you don't want to embarrass. Don't embarrass anybody at the table. You're so worried about the challah at the table, don't embarrass the people at the table. Everybody knows that reason. But Tosos brings a different reason. Because the man had a protective layer of dew underneath and a protective layer of dew on top. So the Lacha Mishnah, our, our challah, should have a tablecloth underneath and a challah cover on top. So this Sefer, Maimar Mordechai says, on Yom Kippur, because it's called Shabbat Shabbason, should set the table with a tablecloth, put svarim instead of the challah, and put a cover of the svarim instead of covering the, the challah. And you leave it that way until Motzei Yom Kippur. Don't deviate or digress from that minog. Put a sitter, put a tehillim. This day we're nourished, not by food, we're nourished by these svarim that sit there adorning and decorating the table. Put a charger underneath the safer. I don't know how you match, match the cover of the Sefer with the charger that goes underneath the Sefer, but it's a beautiful, beautiful minag. Beautiful minag. Then he quotes a minag no saf, upela, the Sefer elef ksav. I, don't, I never heard of these farm. I don't know where he found them. It's unbelievable. He says, shamati mimagide emes the minag svardim in Turkey, Turkish Jews, that yom kadosh kipur, yom kipur, orachem odmi ba'erev hayom, hakadosh hashokhan, you set the table with beautiful candies and sweet fruits on this special holy day so that when you go to shul, you come back from shul, you see the sweetness, the deliciousness. You're going to come back mostly Yom Kippur. You're going to feel that you were cleansed, you were cleaned, you have a fresh start. The sweet things are going to be there waiting for you. All of this is based on Shabbat Shabbason because Yom Kippur is not just Tam Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur is the holy Shabbos of Shabbases, therefore we treat the table like a Shabbos table, even though we're not going to sit and eat at it. Okay, moving along. Perak Yerches, Pasuk Ches. Skip the Perak Yerches, Pasuk Ches, page 650. And here we get to the forbidden relationships. The Torah tells us, sorry, Pasuk Hey. Ushmartem Eschukosai, the introduction to the forbidden relationships. Torah says, Look around at this world. There are countries that hosted you, but because they physically hosted you, geographically hosted you, do not assimilate, do not blend in, do not absorb their culture, their values, their confusion. You might have lived in Egypt a long time. And I would say increasingly, the Western world, America, so much good, high culture, class, but we are in a world that is upside down, inside out, backwards, utterly confused. Just because they hosted you, be grateful, say thank you, don't get confused. I'm taking you to the holy Eretz Yisrael, taking you to Eretz Canaan, but it's a place that's saturated right now in Avodah Zarah. It's saturated in morally corrupt, confused people. Don't follow their ways. There's so much here I didn't get into. Here's a whole discussion. He quotes from some svarim that means that we have to speak our own distinct language. You should not record Chidushe Torah in any language other than Lashon HaKodesh, any language other than Hebrew. I, how do you reconcile with the fact that the Rambam, he quotes, I don't know where he found this, there's a tradition that Rashi wrote his original commentary on Chumash, not in Hebrew. He wrote it in French. That's not our tradition. We've never heard that. But there is such a tradition that Rashi originally wrote the commentary in French. How do you reconcile that the Rambam, the Perish Mishnayas, the Mornavuchim, was written in Arabic? How do you reconcile that Rashi, maybe, maybe, and many other great Gedolim wrote in the, uh, in the language that was familiar to them? What happened to Vukhukaseyim Lo How far does that go? Am I allowed to be sitting here in this beautiful tie? Is that a violation of Chukasayim Lasilechu? It's not a Yiddish Malbush to wear a tie. It's also not a Yiddish Malbush to wear a Bekisha or a Strymel. What did that model after? Chukasayim Lasilechu. 
what's original and what's copying and what's allowed and what's not allowed. It's a big, big discussion for another time. And all this is an introduction to Arias, to the forbidden illicit relationships, immoral relationships that we're not allowed to have. And in that context, the Torah says, Pasuk, hey, Ushmartem is chukosai ve'is mishpatai, asher yaseh osam ha'adam v'chai bahem. Observe my decrees, my laws, which you will carry and you should live. Ani Hashem. V'chai bahem, live by them, live through them. Ani Hashem. Says the Chavetz Chaim. What is v'chai bahem? Translate the word bahem. In them. But we don't really mean in them. What should the word be? V'chai avuram. Through them. With them. In their merit. On their behalf. There are many other words that we could have and should have used to better communicate the notion that Torah is our life source. The Torah gives us meaning and purpose in life. What do you mean b'chai bahem? Says the Chavetz Chaim in the introduction to Shmir Shalash, Shmir Salashon, he says, This is the attitude that we have to have when it comes to the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvahs. This is very meduyak. Listen carefully, says the Chavetz Chaim. V'chai, not avuram. Don't live for them. Don't live through them. V'chai bahem. Live in them. How much time, how much effort, how much money do we go into to ensure that physically we are full, physically we're complete, physically we're healthy? We don't want any of our limbs amputated. We don't want any of our organs removed. We don't want to compromise our health in any which way. The Tariq mitzvos, all of Torah and mitzvos, are our spiritual body. Chavetz Chaim took very seriously the Chazal that teaches us that whatever mitzvah we neglect in this world, we live without that limb in the world to come, in the time of the resurrection. Whatever limb we violated, we neglected, we used, inappropriately, in the pursuit of something wrong, we forfeit that limb. And the limbs that we elevate in the pursuit and the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvos in repairing, in redeeming Hashem's world, those limbs come alive with full vibrancy and health. Says the Chavetz Chaim, the same way a person physically, physically goes for a physical, takes their labs, knows their well-being, is trying to hopefully stay healthy in every which way, wants to be complete, desperately doesn't want to lose a limb, or, or function, so similarly, v'chai bahem, live bahem, Torah and mitzvahs are the spiritual skeleton of our life. They are the spiritual body of our life. They are what give us life. We are only really engaged in this world, we're only really alive when we have v'chai bahem. Salavechik has a different tradition of these words, v'chai bahem. He says, the saving of life overrides the commandments of the entire Torah, v'chai bahem, which Chazal Darshan and Yuma Pehei, Velo Sheyamas Bahem. This is the source, by the way, that Mechal Shabbos, so that you can keep Mechal Shabbos Achas, Kedei, Sheyishmu Shabbosos Harbei. Violate one Shabbos so you can save many Shabbosim. So that's why we have Hatzalah, Baruch Hashem, beautiful, doing amazing things. I think they have a fundraiser going on right now. Everybody should support the wonderful work of our new local Hatzalah here in South Florida. So why is it? The walkie-talkie goes off, they go running, they get in the car. Why are they violating Shabbos? To go help somebody. Because v'chai bahem. Violate Shabbos, so that person, you could save their life and they can keep many Shabbases. What is the real essence of v'chai bahem? The whole purpose of Torah and mitzvahs is to give meaning and purpose and to enhance life and to give life. If observing Torah and mitzvahs will cost life, will be at the expense of life, that's not its purpose. So we violate Torah and mitzvahs to preserve life so that we can extend life. That's a principle, that's a rule that's true in all cases other than three. The three big cardinal, the three, of course, Yarag v'al yavor. Mechal Shabbos achas, kadesh yishmu Shabbos harbe, we violate a Shabbos so that we can keep many. Do we apply that, by the way, to spiritually saving someone? The Rajba was asked, somebody was kidnapped by a cult. A young woman was taken captive by a cult that kidnapped her mind, that convinced her to follow their ways. Can you be Mechal Shabbos? Can you get in a car on Shabbos in order to go and release her, redeem her, 
to go rescue her, to get her out, to get her out. Can you sin to save someone else? Physically, she's not in danger. They're not going to murder her or kill her over Shabbos. But every moment she's with them, her religious identity could be further compromised. She could lose her religious identity. And the Rashba has a whole discussion. Amaran Dei Tshuvas and Poskim deal with that question. Not only physically, but do we apply that spiritually as well? But back to the words of Rav Soloveitchik. This law is the watchword of Judaism. The teachings of the Torah do not oppose the laws of life and reality. For were they to clash with this world, were they to negate the value of concrete, physiological, biological existence, then they would contain not mercy, loving kindness, and peace, but vengeance and wrath. Even if there's only a doubtful possibility that a person's life is in danger, one renders a lenient decision. And as long as one is able to discover some possible danger to life, one may use that doubt to render a lenient decision. We're, we're lenient in order to save a life. In order to save a life. My grandfather said the Rav, his Zayda. Who was his Zayda? Reb Chaim Brisker. My grandfather, Reb Chaim Brisker, disagreed with the legal view that on Yom Kippur, one feeds a sick person who's in mortal danger small amounts of food at a time, each amount less than the forbidden measure of food for that day. We have the practice. My era of Yom Kippur is very busy answering these shilas. Somebody who needs to eat on Yom Kippur, someone whose doctor is determined they need to eat on Yom Kippur, also our parsha, Acharimos, Yom Kippur. So how should they do it? So Minah Torah, from a biblical perspective, one only is considered to have eaten on Yom Kippur if they eat at a certain measure. So what if you eat less than that measure? If you eat less than that measure in, spread out across significant periods of time, so we paskin, if you need to eat on Yom Kippur, pregnant, a nursing mother who can't supply milk, someone whose health is compromised and needs strength, someone who needs to take a medicine that has to be with food and it's a life-saving medicine, they should eat less than 3.3 fluid ounces of food every nine minutes. If that's not enough, eight minutes, seven minutes, six minutes, down to three minutes. That's even three minutes, even less than 3.3 ounces. We start with the big shear and we go down what a person can, can tolerate. And that's the general minig, that's the general psak, that someone who needs to eat at least be considered fasting on the biblical level, on a Torah level. And you've only broken your fast rabbinically by spreading it out the less than that quantity over extended periods of time. Says Rav Salavechik, his Zayda, Rav Chaim Brisker, disagreed. He said, if they're tell you you got to eat, eat outright. Don't sit there with shot glasses and filling food and liquid and a stopwatch and nine minutes and eight minutes and keeping track. Why? He instructed those who were taking care of a sick individual to serve him a regular meal just as they would on other days. When my father was about to travel to a town close to Kovna to take up a rabbinical post, Reb Chaim took him aside. Reb Chaim took his son, Reb Moshe Salavichik, the Rav's father aside and said, quote, I command you to follow my view regarding a sick person in danger on Yom Kippur, for it is an absolute halachic truth. This law that pikuach nefesh, saving a life, overrides all the commandments is indicative of the high value which the halachic viewpoint attributes to one earthly life. Indeed, it serves to confirm and nurture that value. Temporal life becomes transformed into eternal life. It becomes sanctified and elevated with eternal holiness. The Rav used to say about his Eidah, Baruch Brisker, he wasn't mekel on Yom Kippur, he was machmer on pikuach nefesh. He wasn't mekel on Shabbos. When Chaim was once in the room, the doctor and the doctor was treating the patient. The doctor said he didn't need the candle lit. Reb Chaim lit the candle for the doctor. And he explained, I'm not mekel in Hilcha Shabbos. I'm machmir in Hilcha's pikuach nefesh. I'm not lenient on the laws of Shabbos Yom Kippur. I'm strict on the laws of saving a life of pikuach nefesh. V'chaibahem, that is the nature of the mitzvah of, of, of uh, pikuach nefesh. We save a life. Because the purpose of Torah Mitzvah is to give meaning and purpose to life, not to come at the expense of life. The last idea for Achrei Mos, and we'll move over to Kedoshim. Sorry, Perak Yudches. Yeah. Sorry, Perak Yudches. Yeah. Sorry, Perak Yudches. Torah concludes the laws of Arias by telling us don't approach a woman in a time that she's anida, in a time that she's forbidden, in a time that she's off limits. These are inappropriate relationships that have to be moral boundaries. And then the next passage, By the way, also, don't uh, present any of your children to pass through for Molech. Don't sacrifice any of your children to Molech. 
Don't sacrifice your children to idolatry, to Moloch. Moloch was an idol whose worship, as described below, was prevalent in the land of Canaan. And, uh, and don't sacrifice your children to Moloch. Wonders of Soloveitchik, what in the world does one thing have to do with the other? What does don't come close to a woman who's off limits to you have to do with sacrificing a child to Moloch? And writes from Soloveitchik, listen to this insight. The juxtaposition of the first two prohibitions is clear. How are the laws of sexual morality related to the Moloch child sacrifice? Listen to what he says. A couple saves money to buy a house. They discover an unwanted pregnancy. Rather than have their plans thwarted, they will go put the child up for adoption or undergo an abortion. They're offering their child to Moloch because they do not want to be deprived of material niceties. The connection between these prohibitions communicates that if one violates chukim, such as the rules of morality, it can lead to Moloch violation of the mishpatim as well. Don't sacrifice your children for your pleasure, for your pleasure. You want more money, more indulgences, more luxuries. You know, it's been said, maybe not anymore in the state of Florida, that Baruch Hashem now, we've passed vouchers, $8,000 per child, maybe it will change things. It has been said the greatest form of birth control is the cost of Jewish education. It's the biggest birth control. And I can tell you, as a Rav, how many conversations I've had with couples who are trying to act responsibly, who say, I don't know if I should have another child. I have more love to give. There's more room in our family to share, but I don't know if I can afford it, what it will cost 12 years and beyond of a Jewish education. Don't sacrifice, I'm not saying that, therefore, it's an easy answer. That's a responsible question and a difficult answer. But don't sacrifice to Moloch, not because there are plenty of people who can afford, but then I can't afford the car in the driveway, and I can't afford the vacations, and I can't afford the extension in the house, and I can't afford the Pesach away if I'm gonna have another child. Don't sacrifice Lamolech, don't engage in child sacrifice in the pursuit of Arias, of our own indulgence of personal pleasure and, and luxury. A fascinating insider of Soloveitchik on the juxtaposition of those two psukim. Okay, let's move over to Parshas Kedoshim. Parshas, it's a double Parsha this week, right? I'm not wrong, it's Kedoshim also? Anyone here paying attention? Am I right? Okay, good. Page 656, Perak Yutes, Pasuk, Gimel. Hashem speaks to Moshe, speak to the Jewish people, Akol Adas Bnei Israel. Why is this a message that had to be given as an Ada in Adas, as a congregation, when we were gathered, and tell them the message, Kedoshim to you. What does it mean, Kedoshim to you? I'm tempted to go back. I love these Divrei Torah. We've spoken about so many of them in the past. We're not gonna go backwards. Listen to previous year's Shiurim and you'll see. What is Kedoshim to you? What does it mean to be Kadosh? What does it mean to be holy? What does that mean to be holy? How do you fulfill holiness, the pursuit of holiness? What is the definition? Rashi, the Ramban, Shemin Shkup, so many definitions. You can listen to past years online. The third Pasuk tells us, a man, your mother and your father, should you have awe of, not fear, right? That's not the relationship we as parents want from our children, that they're afraid of us. What do we want from them that they have? Awe, that they have awe from the choices we've made, the lives we lived, and that they want to live it themselves. And observe my Shabbos. I am Hashem, your God. I am Hashem, your God. We uh, learn from here. What do we learn from here? This juxtaposition. Why does the Torah contrast having yira, having awe for parents with and observe Shabbos? Because it's telling us, Rashi quotes, Torah is telling us that even though respecting and having awe, fear for parents is a tremendous mitzvah, nevertheless, when it's in conflict with observing Torah, so let's say your father says, your mother says, I want you to violate Shabbos out of respect or awe for me. Should you? Torah says, Torah says, Maybe it supersedes even Hashem's rules. Torah contrasts them to tell us that no, both you and your parents are obligated in honor and awe of Hashem. So yes, that's the hierarchy. Here's the chain of command. You have to have honor and awe for your parents, but they also have to have honor and awe for me, Hashem says. So when there's a conflict, I come, I come first. I come first. The Ben Ishchai, the Otsuplos Torah quotes the Ben Ishchai adds, Afilam onlo aviv lo'ata mitzvah Let's say your parent tells you, not just actively violate a prohibition, but passively sit out. So they say, I don't want you to shake Lulav and Esrug this year. I don't want you to hear Shofar this year. So maybe you'll say, to violate Shabbos, I shouldn't do. 
but to passively b'sheva atasa neglect something, maybe I should honor my parent. No, even that, no, even though that. And the Ben Ishchai adds, and I'll say this is timely, Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaTzmood, Ben Ishchai concludes, what if, what if your parent says, don't make Aliyah? You say, I've been moved, I want to go, it's time, it's time. What the Vilna Gon, what his Talmidim gave to go make Aliyah, what throughout our history to return to our homeland, it permeates our davening every day. I'm moved, and we all should be moved to ask not if, but when, when we're going to go. A very important question that should weigh on our minds each and every day. When, when. So a person is moved. Nefesh ben Nefesh, our dear friend Rabbi Fast, Tony Gelbart, made it easy. And they go to their parents and they say, the same parent, by the way, who made them wave the flag and wear the Kova Tembo and sent them to the religious Zionist schools and dragged them to the Yom Atzimut program at Shul and watched the Daglanut ceremony. And now they come and say, I'm making Aliyah. And they say, how dare you? How could you? You're taking my grandchildren? They tear Kriya, they cry. This is the worst day of my life. I need a support group to be part of. I'm just describing people I know, maybe related to when their children said they're moving to Israel. So can the parent tell the child, no, you're not. You have to honor me. You have to be in awe of me. And I tell you, you can't go. Which comes first? When there's a conflict between moving to Eretz Yisrael. So first of all, this whole discussion is only true when they're both mitzvahs. Observing Shabbos is a mitzvah. So when your parent says, violate Shabbos, the answer is no. Hashem says, you're both obligated to honor me. Is moving to Israel a mitzvah? There's a lot to say about this. We don't have time right now. Moving to Israel is certainly a mitzvah. Rav Moshe Feinstein Paskins, it's a mitzvah kiyumis, not chiyuvis. Just like if you're wearing a four-cornered garment, you're obligated to wear tzitzis on it. You're not obligated to put on the four-cornered garment. But when you wear a four-cornered garment with tzitzis, you're in fulfillment of a mitzvah. So when you move to Israel, you're in fulfillment of a mitzvah. Rav Moshe Paskins, it is a mitzvah kiyumis. You fulfill a mitzvah by being there. By being there. It's, uh, again, we don't have time, the Mishnah and Ksubis. If a woman says to her husband, I'm moving to Israel, and he says, I don't want to go, he has to pay the ksuba. If he says, I'm moving to Israel, and she says, I'm not coming, he can move and he doesn't have to pay the ksuba. Why? Because moving to Israel is a mitzvah. Normally, on Shabbos, you're not allowed to engage in commerce, but there's a piece of land that you can buy, can come under Jewish sovereignty. Are you allowed to give instructions to buy it on Shabbos? Shulchan Arpasings, yes. Why? Because because Yishev Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah. So it is a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah. So when that mitzvah is in conflict with honoring parents, having awe of parents, are parents entitled to say, no aliyah for you. You're not going. You're not going. So there's an interesting medrash. Torah tells Avram, Hashem tells Avram, lech lecha, me'aretzacha Hashem tells Avram, make aliyah. Get up and leave. Your hometown, your home country, you're moving to Israel. And the medrash tells us, that it was only because Hashem told Avram that he was entitled to neglect his father and to leave and go. Rav Avadya has this tshuva in Yechavadas about this question. And he quotes the Panam Yafos, Perish HaMedrash, this Lech Lecha. Nimtza, he says, Shagon Afla Mechalik, sorry, the Medrash Lech Lecha, Lecha Ani Poter Mikibar Aveim, Ein Ani Poter Laacher Mikibar Aveim. Why did Avram need the instruction Lech Lecha? so that he'd be the exception, he was allowed to neglect Kibar Aveim to go to Israel. But everyone else is not allowed to. You have to listen to a parent and you can't go on Aliyah. There is such an opinion. There is such a medrash. That's not how Rav Avadya Paskins in the end. His conclusion is that a parent is not entitled to tell you not to go. That's his conclusion. Also, Laredes, and, and he concludes, L'chori yish l'ara b'zeh ma'ashakas v'rash b'etz, what about you live in Israel and the parent says, come spend Pesach with me. I want you to be with me in my five-star hotel. I want you to come visit me. I want you to hear this incredible Parsha class I go to on Tuesdays. Come down to South Florida. I want you to come play Mahjan, sit by the pool, learn Parsha with me. Is that a heter? Are you allowed to leave Israel for Kibbet Aveim or Mora Aveim? Is there a heter to leave for that reason? So there's a whole discussion, a fascinating discussion in, in Halacha. The Rambam quotes this, the Aretz, he says, then you have to go back afterwards. There is a whole discussion. Here in the Yotzer Plaza Torah, what else? Based on this Pasuk, when there's a conflict, Hashem comes first. So what is a father allowed to say? 
Let's say a parent says, I don't want you to have that friendship. I don't, I don't want you to be friends with such a person. I don't want you to forgive such a person. A f- person has a conflict, their friend asks forgiveness, and the parent says, don't forgive. Are you obligated to listen to the parent? Let's say you fall in love and you want to get married. Let's say the shachan just sets you up and you want to go out, but your parent says, not that resume. I did the research, I say no. Are you entitled to ignore the parent? To go on your own? There's a big discussion in, this, in, in halacha about all these things. He quotes the Moshe of Zakenim from the Balei Atosvos. Can a son give a father a haircut? I happen to give haircuts. I earned my spending money in my years in yeshiva by giving haircuts in the dorm. And during Corona, I gave my father haircuts. So, and, and after Corona, he, that became a, a good price for him. So we kept the minhag. So can a person give their father a haircut? So the Moshe of Zakenim from Balei Atosvos says, Asr leben lasaper laaviv, so it depends if you're a good barber or not. If you're going to cut the person and cause them to bleed, then no. Even if the parent's mochel, mechila doesn't work. The hartzvi is a tshuva. He doesn't quote it in here, but I once saw a tshuva of the hartzvi. Let's say you have a child who's a dentist. You spent all that money. Dental school is also expensive. Okay, it's still a doctor, it's not a medical doctor. A dentist is still expensive. And you have a child who's a dentist. And so now you figure, at least let me get a return on my investment in their dental school. Can the child treat the parent? Can you fill the cavity? Can you do the root canal? You're causing pain and anguish. You're gonna cause bleeding and give a chabura to the parent. Are you allowed to? Can a child treat a parent? Child who's a doctor, can they treat the parent? All these are fascinating discussions in halacha, and I encourage you to look more into it. Perikites, Pasuket, Zayin. Let's squeeze in a few more because the best, we got the best yet, save for last. Pashas Kedoshim is, you're not supposed to play favorites. I love Pashas Kedoshim. Every Pasuk is a Musa Sefer. Fantastic. Every, every Pasuk are, are the core central themes of what it means to be a Yid, of what it means to be a Jew. You can't hate your brother in your heart. You have to rebuke them. Otherwise, you carry their sin. You carry their burden. Wonders, the Helega Munkacher, the Minchas Eluzer of Munkach, in his Sefer Divrei Torah, quotes by the Otsar Palos Torah. Why do I need to be told, we know you have to love your brother as yourself. You have to love your, sorry, not your brother. You have to le reacha. You have to love your neighbor, your friend as yourself. So if you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, certainly you can't hate your brother. Your brother is your flesh and blood. Your brother is your family. Your brother is you. So once you're told certainly you'll know don't hate your brother. Why do you have to be told that? Listen to his insight. Listen to the Munkacher quotes. You know what? Sometimes it's harder to love your siblings than it is your neighbor. Or put differently, you may love your sibling, it's hard to like them. You love them. You take a bullet for them. You have the same last name. Your family. You love them, but you don't really like them. Maybe you're going to compete for the inheritance. Maybe you're competing for attention from the parent. Sibling rivalry, not revelry. No, sometimes it's hard to love the people closest to us. Sometimes we mistreat the most the people closest to us. So don't forget, don't just be nice and kind and patient and speak gently to the neighbor and the stranger. Don't forget your siblings and your parents and your children, the people you share the house with. Don't forget the people you're closest to. Don't forget the people you're most comfortable around. Is how he, is how he explains it and answers it. But there's a lot of truth, a lot of truth to it. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter says, Hochiach Tochiach. Says Rabbi Yisrael Salanter on this. Pasuk. Hochiach Tochiach Esa Misecha. 
What is the word S? The Pasuk could have read, Hocheach tochiach, rebuke, amisecha. Your acquaintance, your neighbor. Why is it S? We darshan every S in the Torah. S, the word S is me, it's extra. It's unnecessary. Hocheach tochiach, amisecha. Why does it say S, amisecha? Listen to what Yisrael Salanter said. Whenever you have the word S, it's coming to add. Your big brother. Honor your big brother. Fear Hashem. S. Larabos. It's adding, have awe of righteous. S. You ate and you're full. Bless Hashem. Why S? Larabos. Balabayas. Don't just thank Hashem. Thank the Balabayas. Every time the word S, Larabos, we're adding. That same value applies not only to what it says explicitly in the Pasuk, but applies to someone else too. Who's the S here? Who else? Who's the S Larabos? What do you think Rabbi Yisrael Salanta would answer? Don't forget Larabos as Hamochiach Atzmo. Sheochiach Kodem as Atzmo Be'inyan Zeh. Hochiach S Amisecha S Larabos? You. You're about to give rebuke to somebody? Look in the mirror. First check yourself. First, see whether you're really in a position to give rebuke. You're, in a, you're really in a position to offer judgment or criticism? What about you? Be honest with yourself, and then you can be honest with other people. Look in the mirror. Check yourself. You. Before you give rebuke, give the rebuke to yourself. Try the rebuke on for size. See whether, whether you, in fact, are in a position and worthy of giving rebuke to others. Okay, we only have time for a couple more, but we've got a hundred more incredible ones. Losikam velositor, what it's really about, not taking revenge. Ahaftalurecha kamocha, some beautiful insights. I'll just tell you the Rab Nachman on Vahaftalurecha kamocha. I'll leave the Rav Shimon and the altar of Slabodka for another time. But just the Rab Nachman, such a beautiful Rab Nachman. Every time you think you've heard all the Divrei Torah there are to say on Vahaftalurecha kamocha, I could tell you 25 off the top of my mind. Every time you think you've heard all the Divrei Torah on the after Kamocha, it's the beauty of Torah. It's deeper and deeper and more and more and layers and layers. It's so geschmack. It's so incredible. So Reb Nachman says, you listening? Listen to this. What is the word Reacha? Yehudi. Ein Reya Ela B'mitzvah. Reacha means another Jew. You need love a fellow Jew as yourself. And we've shared before, this is the source that you have to love yourself. Who says you have to love yourself? You have to love yourself. There's some people who don't love themselves. Nebuch, in this world of mental illness and mental health challenges, there are so many people who don't love themselves. They don't love themselves. They don't even like themselves. And they need to remember, you have to l'reecha kamocha. You have to love others, but first you have to love yourself. Chayecha kodman l'chayecha vercha. So the simple understanding of reecha is, is your neighbor, is the friend. There's another idea here. A Jew needs to accept upon themselves all the challenges and all the hardships and all the pain. To know that after the hardships and after the pain and after the difficulty, Hashem loves us and has compassion for us. Who Hashem dayan ha'emes. Hashem is the judge of truth. Everything is for a reason. Everything is for a purpose. Nothing is random. Nothing is chance. And even when it's unbearably painful, there's a reason for it. And that's the pshat. V'yahavta l'reacha kamocha. Sh'tehav esara sheba elecha hatsaros v'ha'isurun ki be'etzem hu kamocha. Kemo she'ata. Kemo batem l'ma'asecha. V'yahavta l'reacha l'ra Love the bad that happens, kamoch, it's part of who you are. It's part of the life you live. It's part of how you get to where you are. And the Pasuk ends with, And it ends with, Why? Why should you, love the bad that happens to you? Because kamoch, it's part of who you are. It's part of building into who you are. It's part of your life that you're meant to lead. It's not random and chance. Why should you have that confidence? Why should you believe that? Because Ani Hashem. If you surrender and submit, if you believe that there's a higher power, if you believe that the Rabbon Shalom is an Eibishter, if you believe there's a Tata in Himmel, there's a Vinashem HaShemayim, if you believe Hashem is running the world, then via Hafta you love not only the good in your life, via Hafta you love even the Ra. Even the Ra. You know, the other day, you remember the story maybe of the NBA player on the Heat, Myers Leonard, he had a horrible incident. 
He's a very good man who at one moment he made a mistake and he earned his way back and he's back in the NBA and his Milwaukee Bucks were down here playing the Heat. So we got together, we had breakfast together, my seven foot one friend, he's amazing. And by the way, an incredible lesson for all of us by engaging him and befriending on Yom HaShoah, he wrote a post to his tens of thousands of followers, maybe hundreds, I'm sorry, hundreds of thousands of followers, all about fighting anti-Semitism and standing with the Jewish people. And he's, he's, he's very special. And we talked about that horrible incident as he lived through it, didn't understand why, and it was so unbearably painful. But the good and positives that have changed in his life since then, that he could look back and understand that incident, put him on a journey of self-discovery and of forgiveness and of relationships and of educating himself about the Jewish community. And it's absolutely, absolutely incredible, absolutely beautiful. And for all of us, v'yahavta l'reacha l'ra, come to learn to love even that which was painful in your life. Kamocha, it is part of the composite, it is part of the mold, it is part of the kamocha of the life that we live, it is part of that entire picture of who we are and the lives that we live. Ay, 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 there was so much more. V'avdil to be separated, havdal, ay, so much more. But we're going to read the parshas again next year. Meanwhile, we're back. Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of meeting with Silas Sharam, Living with Amuna, 845. Join us for Living with Amuna, 845. Tomorrow night, behind the Bima. It's great to be together again. Wishing everyone stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.